to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. And if this is your first time here, welcome. I'm so excited to have you. I'm an evolutionary astrologer who writes weekly forecasts at monarchastrology.com. And I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about personal development, both through the lens of astrology and otherwise. That's how I feel right now. (laughs) Uh, I am like packing. I'm getting ready to travel and I'm just getting stuff done. So I want to drop in for a moment and say that this episode is really important to me. It's about alternatives to psychiatry. You know, after healing from a really difficult experience I had in 2012, that was traumatic. I mean, I had this big spiritual opening. And then it turned into an unwanted psychiatric intervention. And the healing that I did from that was deep. Um, It got me really on my path and really deep into my studies of astrology and spirituality. And for some years, I didn't talk about it publicly, but I just put my work out into the world and I was getting positive feedback and an audience and I was teaching astrology and seeing clients. And so I was, um, successful. I think the thing about having been diagnosed, there was a sense of not wanting to be not taken seriously, um, or to seem like I was delusional. So I put a lot of energy into, my groundedness and my presence and my accountability and my consistency showing up in certain ways, right? And then I made the move to open up to you, my audience, about my experience and tell my story because enough time had passed and I'd gotten enough perspective from it that it was really time to tell people what had happened not only because it's such a formative part of who I am, but because I think that it's a important story. I learned some things about this reality and our social reality. And I also saw firsthand one of the dangers of deep psychic openings. And I've gone on to develop my clairvoyance and be a very spiritual person and consistently get the feedback that I'm very grounded and practical. And a lot of people feel really safe to open up to me about experiences they never tell people about and, you know, things that they would think that other people would think they were crazy for. And so it was a meaningful experience to go through. And I don't regret that it happened, but I do feel like I discovered certain injustices about the system. And I felt like not enough people were talking about it. 
And yet there is someone who talks a lot about it, um, whose work is centered around it, and that's Haya. Haya and I met in Olympia, Washington, when we both lived there, and we connected about our shared experiences with psychiatry and also our love of astrology. Haya Grossberg is a non-medical consultant to individuals and families seeking alternatives to psychiatric meds. She's been working professionally with people opting to come off of or find alternatives to psych drugs for 18 years, and she's consulted with state and private mental health organizations around the country. Her book, Freedom from Psychiatric Drugs, is available on Amazon, and she blogs at madinamerica.com, as well as on her own site, hayagrossberg.com. She lives in Western Massachusetts now, where you can check out her frequent book talks if you are local there. If you'd like to know more about my personal run-in with psychiatry and how I faked my way out of psychiatric care and found mental health in the aftermath, the second episode of this podcast in the archives is that story told in more detail. I really enjoyed having this conversation with Haya. She dropped so much wisdom and I hope that this conversation and her work reaches those who it needs to reach. Here's our conversation. I'm here with Haya Grossberg, a alternatives to psychiatry consultant and author, and I'm really excited to be here with you. Kaya, and before we start, I would love to hear what brought you onto this line of work and what it looks like today for you to be consulting people to help them get off psychiatric drugs. Thanks, Sabrina. Thanks for asking. It's great to be here um, talking to you and the listeners. Um, so what led me into this work initially was my own experience, um, having been put on psychiatric drugs that nearly killed me when I was about 21. Um, and I ended up connecting with a lot of um, other people who had been through psychiatry and had been harmed by it. So I got involved in activism with those people that had already started um, some activist work in that field. And um, this was quite a while ago. It was about 17 years ago. So it was it was when it was still kind of new for people to be pushing back on psychiatry. Honestly, it was still kind of new for a lot of people, like for a lot of people in the mainstream to be going on psychiatric drugs. It was like the first or second wave of that that had really just started, you know, in the 90s. And so this was in the early 2000s that I started to get involved in this work. And um, yeah, I, I connected with a, a sort of nationwide and worldwide movement that was starting to bud. I mean, there have been worldwide movements for people to find alternatives to psychiatry for a long time, but as the internet has developed, um, different modes of connecting have also evolved in this realm. Wow. Yeah. So I was 21 when I had my, uh, psychiatric experience as well. Um, and we met in Olympia and, you know, connected over both liking astrology, but also having these experiences with psychiatry that turned us away from that field 
Um, and I'm curious when you were undergoing treatment, was that something that you consented to, or was it a coercive situation? For me, it was coercive. Um, well, I had first, I had first taken, um, an antidepressant when I was a teenager and that was also coercive. I did eventually consent to it, but my therapist had pressured me a lot for a long time. Um, and then later on, it was completely coercive. Um, I was like really, really against it. I didn't want it. And I was forced onto um, some drugs and then ended up having withdrawal when I went off of those drugs and then got another diagnosis when I was having withdrawal symptoms. Um, so a lot of that ended up like putting me into like a sort of a whirlwind of getting put on more and more drugs. And there was a certain point where I was consenting to them, but it was more because I was, I didn't know what was going on at that point because I was like so drugged up um, and kind of desperate for anything. But it really initially started as a coercive experience for me. Yeah. Can you speak more to what this cycle is with drugs where you get put on one drug and then there's side effects and they give you another drug to treat those side effects and suddenly you're in this like cacophony of medications? Like why does that occur in the pharmaceutical world and in the psychiatric world? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's definitely something that almost all of my clients experience and almost all the people that reach out to me on, um, on the internet and in general have experienced or are experiencing. I think in a lot of ways, it's because psychiatrists prescribe psychiatric drugs. That's kind of their main tool. Like they don't, they don't, most of them don't have a whole other array of tools. There are a few that I've encountered that do you know, do some things with nutrition and supplements and lifestyle and, and other like emotional support. But by and large, most psychiatrists main toolbox is psychiatric drugs. So if somebody is having issues on one drug, a lot of psychiatrists think, well, the other tools I have are other drugs. So I'll try another one, you know, or I'll try this other one. Um, and there are also I think there are a lot of liability issues that doctors and psychiatrists have around um like they're more likely to get into legal issues for not prescribing drugs than for prescribing too many drugs um, because these drugs are considered medicine. So prescribing, you know, approved medications to somebody is legal, even if they're really dangerous and harmful. So I think that's one of the main reasons why people end up getting on so many drugs. The other reason I would say is that most psychiatrists aren't very well versed in recognizing um, side effects and withdrawal symptoms. So what they learn in school is not about side effects and withdrawal symptoms, but they learn about how to look at somebody from the context of diagnostic disorders. So when they start to see like, other, let's say it's a side, let's say a whole bunch of side effects start to occur when somebody's taking a medication. The psychiatrist is looking at that from the perspective of like, okay, this person has dissociative dissent identity disorder and like now they're um, hallucinating or now they're tired all the time. Maybe they have another diagnosis too. Maybe they also have um, psychosis or, um, you know, depression or something like that. So then they think about, well, what drug can I prescribe for those symptoms? So it's a lot of it is that the way psychiatrists are trained isn't very practical or realistic in terms of what people are actually experiencing because it's more based on abstract diagnoses and abstract symptomology and drugs that are also in a way abstract because it's not really clear like what they do. <laughs> so um, 
So that's like, I guess my answer for that question. That's a great point. And as some of the the listeners who have listened to some of the earlier episodes of this podcast, I shared my story here with um, receiving unwanted psychiatric attention and how when I was put into that kind of matrix, I uh, quickly figured out that if I reported any of the side effects I was having, that it wouldn't result in me being taken off drugs. It would result in me getting a new drug. And they actually use the word cocktail. They're like, well, you know, we'll find the right cocktail for you. And I thought it was immensely disturbing and I was faking my way out of the system anyway. um, But I just, you know, it seemed so like blatantly dysfunctional to me that they would just prescribe more medications for side effects that the medication caused the side effects of. Um, So that distinction that they're kind of viewing more and more symptoms as just more disorders and not as side effects is helpful. Um, And one other thing I want to add to that is that a lot of their education tells them that, that all psychiatric illnesses are progressive and continuously get worse over time. That's what they they told me (laughs) getting worse. Even if it's because of medications, they, their training is, Oh, okay. This person's illness is progressing and it's really sad, actually, because a lot of people that uh, that take on that identity and then get on drugs actually have that viewpoint, you know, because that's what they're told. And I actually had that viewpoint when I was on a lot of drugs, because at that point, I was like so mentally disabled by the drugs that I couldn't really think rationally. And I started to actually believe that I was mentally ill and that all these symptoms I was experiencing from these drugs were a mental illness that I had. Can you speak more to what this is when it when people take on an identity of their mental illness that's given to them by the system? Um, yes, I think that it's a very common thing, especially amongst young people. I mean, it can happen to anyone, but I think especially amongst young people who might not really have a full identity yet. And I remember that for me, when I was in college, I wasn't when, before I was I wasn't on any psychiatric drugs at that time when I was having this experience, but I was going through a lot of spiritual emergence, a lot of like spiritual confusion, a lot of mystical experiences. I was having a lot of psychic openings and I didn't have that much support or mentorship at that time. And I remember having a lot of times this fear that I was crazy and that I was going crazy. And it was like the idea of this identity as crazy would freak me out because I thought like, what if I actually am fundamentally crazy? you know, or psychotic or whatever word you want to use for that. Um, And I think that one of the major things I learned from going through the psychiatric system was that it didn't matter if I was crazy or not, or if I was psychotic or not, because those aren't like solid identities. I mean, to me, the idea of calling somebody fundamentally crazy or fundamentally psychotic is like dismissing their reality. It's like a form of gaslighting and scapegoating really because like everything that everyone experiences has some basis in something that's real even if it's considered a delusion or you know not in alignment with the rest of quote-unquote consensual reality but um you know it's really complicated because there are so many different reasons why people get that label a lot of times it is about scapegoating and like family politics and the identified patient, like calling one person in the family, you know, the mentally ill one so that other people in the family, sometimes who are abusive can get off the hook or alleviate their own guilt for their behavior. 
um, towards that person or in general. So it can be a strategy and a form of convenience that people use to, you know, to identify somebody as a mental illness label. But the other thing that happens to answer your question is that a lot of times people then internalize that oppression and that label and that identity. And sometimes I think that it can be like easier, quote unquote, easier to take on that label than to find one's own power, to figure out how to um, embrace, like embrace and integrate all the things that are going on in whatever process is happening. So sometimes somebody's experiencing, you know, the result of trauma, or it could be a psychic opening, or it could be like a whole combination of things that result in behavior or experiences that might fit into, you know, a mental illness diagnosis. Um, Completely. Oh, oh, what was that? Completely. I mean, that's what happened with me is I was having a spiritual emergency um, and a spiritual emergence, a psychic opening, and I didn't have uh, the community or, you know, sufficient mentorship to integrate what was happening. And I made intellectual errors in judgment. I spoke in ways that made me appear mentally ill. And the whole time I was going through treatment, you know, it's like I knew that I was, uh, that my experience was legitimate, but that the people, the authority figures in my life at the time wouldn't see that my way at all. And that I would get out of the situation sooner just by lying and saying the things I needed to say. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it opened my eyes to this part of our reality where uh, it's kind of like a policing of people's consciousness, where people are having experiences that don't fit into the, the normal consensus rules of how people should be thinking or acting. And that instead of having, you know, some kind of uh, some healers or perspectives that would actually meet people where they're at. These people are just put away or put on drugs. Um, and that's, you know, they may not, you know, I was lucky in my situation because I had had enough, um, kind of education through my life experiences itself to know that I was having a spiritual experience, that I wasn't just delusional, Mm -hmm. but there are people who have spiritual and psychic openings, but they're never validated for that. And they're just seen as mentally ill. So I want to speak more about like, what are these other experiences that are valid that people are having that get misinterpreted as mental illness and why you think that is? Um, yeah, I think there's a whole range of different types of experiences that can get diagnosed with different types of illness, mental illnesses. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I think it has to do with nonconformism and people who have a kind of a spiritual mission or a mission of their soul that's so strong that it just cannot conform. It cannot just say, I'm just going to conform to what everyone else is doing and just like choose a cookie cutter life path and, you know, do like whatever has been prescribed for me by society. And there are different ways, obviously, like some people get luckier or have an easier time with like finding a pathway towards their life purpose that's also socially acceptable and where they can find a place in society. And it can take some people longer than others. And again, like it it has a lot to do with having community and support and mentorship 
and having other people around that have some kind of a similar um, storyline or a similar worldview. Um, and I think, you know, it's also now, you know, with the way that the internet is now, it's actually become a lot easier to find other people with a similar worldview. And it's, it's harder for somebody to feel like they have a perspective that they just can't find anyone else in the world that understands it or resonates with it. So that's pretty cool and exciting. But I still think for young people or for people who are disenfranchised in any way, it can be very hard to find, you know, a place in society when you have a mission that's actually really challenging society that's saying that has like something completely different to bring to society than things that have already been prescribed. So that can result in, you know, anxiety, depression, things get, that get called anxiety, depression, psychosis, um, the whole range of, of things. Because um, like when there's something that wants to be expressed and, and channeled through somebody and it doesn't find an outlet or it's not accepted or it's like so far away from the mainstream or the culture that this person's born into it's, it can just be extremely traumatic, you know, and then somebody, if they can't find a way to like a place for who they really are, then, you know, it can cause all kinds of emotional difficulties and like a sense of just separating out from who they are and like having to shut, shut it down too much or a whole variety of different experiences, you know? And, and one thing I think about is like somebody who's born into a family where the family has like certain values and certain storylines. And this is such a common experience, you know, like certain storylines and values about what life is about and what success is and what they want their kids to do with their lives. And maybe the kid just has no interest in those things. And they have a completely different purpose that has nothing to do with those things. Um, and then, you know, the family might be so attached to those ideals and ideologies that they, it's almost like their only option is to think of their child as mentally ill, because otherwise they'd have to think of their child or themselves as just a complete failure in their worldview. That's a really good point. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So what does the process look like when people are coming to work with you? Um, what kinds of people come to you? And um, yeah, like what's what's the process that you have with them? Um, that's a good question. So a whole, a whole variety of different people come to me, but I'd say that there are maybe, well, two main demographics come to my mind. One is people who've been on psychiatric drugs for quite a while and are embarking upon the process of coming off, or maybe have already started to come off slowly, but need support to complete that process or to continue that process. Um, and I often, you know, listen to their story and help them to find different lifestyle strategies. You know, I do work with people on things like nutrition and herbs and lifestyle and finding more support in their life. Um, so I'm pretty well connected to people, psychiatric survivors and people going through it from around the world, because I've had an internet presence on this topic for, I guess, at least, I don't know, about a decade, maybe, or maybe more. Um, so people definitely reach out to me a lot and I try to connect people with those in their own area if, if I can. 
Um, but then the other, the other main demographic of people that reach out to me are parents of adult children who have gone through or are going through something. <clears throat> and oftentimes they want to support their adult child in finding alternatives to psychiatric medications. So it might be that their adult child has already had really bad, traumatic, and harmful experiences with psychiatric drugs, and they want my help to sort of help keep their adult child out of the hospital, out of the whole like loop of getting in and out of the hospital and on and off of drugs. Um, so in those cases, sometimes I've set up a program for those people um, to help that person to have like a whole team of support around them for a little while in order to um, ground themselves and integrate their experiences with more support. Um, and, you know, in certain areas, I, I, I do have just like a lot of connections in different areas. So sometimes I'm able to find that person, a really well aligned therapist and housemates and friends and supporters and other activities in a certain area where they're living or where maybe they want to relocate to that place. Um, or if somebody is even in the hospital, like another thing that I do is if somebody's adult child or somebody is in the hospital and needs somebody to talk to while they're in the hospital or help needs help getting out of the hospital. That's another thing that I help people with is um, because a lot of times somebody can get stuck in the hospital system and needs help and support to have, because hospitals just, it's not that hospitals really want to keep anyone there that much. It's just that they need to have like some place to send somebody that looks valid. So I help people to find those things so that, somebody can get out of the hospital and still have a safe place to be and recover from the whole experience. That's incredible. You're like a earth angel doing that, like making connections for people. Um, yeah. When I was going through my experience, um, I didn't know that there were other people having that experience, there was like one Google article I could find that was saying that people who are having awakenings, like shamans would consider them, you know, doing something spiritually important for the culture. And it was just like one Google article that I could find. And I, I noticed that article like dozens of times. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like the top Google search thing, because what I found during that time was that there was actually a lot of content on the Internet about normalizing psychiatric drugs, like people being like, I'm on psychiatric drugs and it's OK. And it's like no more stigma. It's OK. And mm -hmm. that's yeah. like that's one thing. But I hardly found anyone who's like, I've been put in the system and I'm not mentally ill. Because you're put in this position right away uh, when you've been kind of labeled by an external authority that you have some kind of illness that if you don't agree with your diagnosis, that's just further evidence. Mm -hmm. Like I would actually hear from the psychiatrist and my parents at the time that bipolar people don't think they're bipolar. Like everything I did was suddenly, well, that's just a bipolar thing. You took risks in life. Well, that's a bipolar thing. <laughs> you're depressed now that you're stuck at home against your will and like being coerced into taking drugs. Well, you're bipolar. Like it was just like so one flew over the cuckoo's nest, like dystopic stuff. Um, and so when I emerged from it more and more, I actually did find 
that there was like a network of people that had been through the experience. And I think that in my own kind of dharmic way, like having that deep solitude and like having to find my way, I did have mentors and guides and I found astrology that, you know, evolutionary astrology really came to me during that time. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that things, you know, the path was as it was meant to be. But certainly after getting out of that experience, I really wanted other people to know that um, if you have like a extreme psychic opening or spiritual emergency um, or a sudden kind of soul retrieval experience or a sudden um, awareness of all the trauma that you're holding on to, that it may appear as though it's mental illness, but it also could be a super valid you know, and not to say that mental illness isn't a valid experience, but it could be an experience that isn't um, the narrative that the psychiatrist gave me and that my parents believed at the time, which is that you have this illness. It will pop up throughout your life randomly out of your control for the rest of your life. Um, you're doomed. All you can do is manage it at this point. If you take pills for the rest of your life, you might be OK. <laughs> and I was like, this mm-hmm. is, you know getting out of that situation and making lifestyle changes and living my truth and doing a lot of inner work and trauma work is actually what helped me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just really appreciate there being a network of people that are actually talking about this. And also in line with that, um, you're into astrology as well. (laughs) And I'm curious, like how you feel that like making meaning of our situations in alternate ways, like how does that play into the work that you're doing of like finding alternate ways of understanding and making meaning of what people and ourselves have experienced outside of the medical model? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Something that I have noticed is from talking to lots and lots of people and hearing lots and lots of stories, everyone has a a profound story. So part of the reason why I don't love mental illness labels is because somebody might think that if they say I'm bipolar, that that tells me something about them. But I've just heard from so many people who identify with that label, and they all have like completely different stories. They don't all have the same story, you know. Um, But sometimes people think that if they say I'm bipolar, that people will will like understand them better. And maybe for some people that is true. But for me, I don't feel that I understand anyone better if they tell me their diagnosis. I always want to know more, like what's your actual story. Um, And then in terms of astrology and other ways of understanding, you know, reality and cosmology and the world and our place in it, I think that there are a lot. And I think that anything that helps somebody to see themselves as like part of something larger and to kind of investigate themselves, investigate their life and their place in it. Um, and, and one really important way that I think is valuable for most people is to have some kind of creative outlet and even like some kind of mystical or dreamlike quality to their reality, because part of it is like finding ways to integrate the psychic, mystical, dreamlike qualities into our reality rather than like repressing them and or saying that's not real. I just have to be 100%. Um, you know, I can only do things that are that are already prescribed by mainstream reality or something like that. 
um, or that are already seen. But, you know, a lot of us are seers, like a lot of us have something else that we're seeing that we have a mission actually to share with the world. So I think that finding ways to access those other voices and those other parts of ourselves, like the dream plane and the creative planes. Um, and, you know, I think astrology can be another one of those mystical tools that helps people to kind of understand their life and their relationships in a different context. Um, and in, in like a sort of like an unseen way, like seeing things that maybe are not already seen by everyone, you know, that's such a good point. That is, um, there's a really interesting connection that I pick up with people of a hesitancy to explore spirituality and to deepen their intuition because they fear going crazy, being seen as crazy or being delusional. And these might be people that don't even really have a history with mental illness. It's just like when you get into the territory of magic and spirituality, that's kind of the the line. And I think even it's either Joseph Campbell or Carl Jung. I don't know why I'm not remembering which one of them said it, but that quote around like the mystic swims in the same water with the light that the psychotic is drowning in. And I'm probably butchering the quote, but that connection is, is there. Um, And I'm curious too about how, you know, not having a proper education around wielding spiritual abilities, which Mm -hmm. if a person is kind of an edge walker or a trailblazer and they're doing something that maybe hasn't been done before and they don't have eldership, like um, Mm -hmm. how easily does that kind of turn into a dangerous place for them emotionally, mentally, um, and then socially. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, that when people don't have enough community and mentorship and people who share a common language around these things, it can easily go into a place that feels dangerous and isolating. I think isolation is really the thing that feels most dangerous to people is when there's like no one that can be found that shares their reality. And that they're like, that they feel scapegoated by everyone in their reality. Um, Again, I do think that like with the current state of the internet, it's easier for people to find people that have a similar reality or that validate their reality. Um, I also think that something you said about intuition is important. And, you know, people learning to hone their intuition, to access their intuition and to access like their own spiritual experiences that feel safer, that feel like, like for me, at least I know that I can access not always, but sometimes, you know, safe spiritual spaces and a sense of feeling protected spiritually um, and committed spiritually. So I think that there's, there has to be um, a sort of purpose underlying the whole thing that somebody finds within themselves. And it might not even be like a sentence or, or explainable in words, but um, a lot of times what people experience when they start to delve into all these things is a feeling of not being in control. And it it is true. It is a true part of our experience that we're not always in control. We're not in control of everything. And, um, I think a lot of the desire to repress any kind of mystical experience is a fear of that loss of control or a fear that there's something 
larger at play or that in a way we are part of this larger symphony of life that is really not in our control a lot in a lot of ways. And it's not to say we can't do anything about it, but I think that a lot of times there are parts of our destiny that we can't control. And um, that's not a bad thing. You know, it's, it, it can be a really positive thing. It's just that society is so caught up in control mechanisms and um, fears that in some parts of society, anything outside of that is seen as a threat. Um, but I think that the key really is to find friends and community and, and support um, from people who have had a similar experience, because there are so many of us out there that have had mystical and psychic experiences and that or that are very sensitive or that um, you know, live some of our life on a mysterious plane that maybe no one else understands, but, um, but we can in some ways hear each other. And there's something so satisfying about that type of communion and community amongst people where there's like a hearing of each other on a soul level. And there's, I just don't think there's really any kind of control mechanism that can really beat that. That is so profound. Um, yeah, I'm really touched. And you've mentioned a few times the importance of community. So I want to deepen into that of, you know, why is that important? What's the difference, uh, for a person's interior experience when they have community versus when they don't? It's so huge. And, um, and it's interesting, like, I don't know if this is, a direct answer to your question, but I want to talk a little bit about how to find community and how people can please. Find it yeah. And, it. Um, and I think that it's, it's kind of like a, this is something that I'm going to say that I think might resonate with things that you write. Um, but it's kind of like a twofold process or like a, um, it's kind of like, I thought of this quote from an artist I read once something like reaching in and reaching out. And it's like kind of accessing becoming intimate with oneself and one's own spiritual path and one's own voice. And, um, you know, there are a lot of different ways to do that from like meditation to prayer, to creative practices, dreaming, um, or even like actual spiritual communities, which there are so many, but if somebody feels in alignment with a particular spiritual path or religion or type of meditation, um, or type of artistic practice, like going to those places to find other kindred spirits can be helpful um, if it's possible. And if it's not possible to do live, then it can be often possible to do on the internet. Um, so I think that, you know, continuing to develop that intimacy with oneself and then using that to start to see others, because I think that the closer we are to our own um to our own truth and our own reality, the more we can see clearly like others that are resonant with that and others that might recognize us or who we recognize. It's a way of seeing that I think starts to develop as we deepen our own spiritual practice where you see where it's like you meet somebody and right away you're like, I get this person, they get me. And like, I can talk to them right away about almost anything, you know, and you start to develop more and more of those connections. Um, and people that feel safe, like who you can talk to, not only necessarily about mystical and spiritual things, but about trauma and suffering and 
things like I think it's important for people to find communities of people who've had a similar type of suffering or trauma um, so that they have people they can talk to who have been through something similar and who will understand that and um, and who won't pathologize them for experiencing the effects of trauma or for grieving or for having pain and sadness and anger and frustration and whatever comes up. Um, I think that that's, that's really foundational and important. Um, and it can make a big difference even in terms of like suicidality, which is a big one. Um, if people are feeling suicidal and they have people they can talk to about that, who can understand and not freak out, that can be so huge. Um, and who can understand, who can even like understand the feeling of suicidality in a larger context. Like, um, I mean, people who can hold space for the conversation around suicidality or around trauma or around violence and abuse and, and things like that. Um, I mean, it's kind of rare in our society and a lot in the psychiatric system, people just immediately go to fear and, you know, repression of the whole situation. But having people who can open up more space for that and, and be part of a larger conversation around those topics, I think can be life-saving. That's a really interesting one um, because having thoughts of harming oneself or harming others are the, like, the things that if you speak of to a certain professionals, they're bound by law to like report that. Um, so yeah, it's interesting where it's like, if someone's having, uh, contemplations of ending their life, but they can't talk about it without getting kind of, uh, penalized in some way, that would be really difficult. Yeah, exactly. Which is really why I think it's so important for people to have safe people they can talk to about those things um, who won't freak out, who won't like lock them up or drug them or or just really do anything that extreme. You know, a lot of times people really just need someone to listen and be there. It doesn't even have to be that complicated. Well, this is so true that community is really important. I think that it's even connected just to who we are as creatures, um, in a deeply biological sense as well. Um, and I love what you were saying about going within and then approaching the world from that intimacy with self. Um, that that's actually kind of after my experience, um, I felt pretty alone in one sense, but I also felt newly connected to spirit and to source. And so I spent a lot of time alone with source and got to know myself more deeply. Um, but it really changed my life after that. Um, because the experience inadvertently kind of pressured me into finding my own inner reserves, my own inner resilience, like how to believe and trust myself when people around me didn't. Um, and when I found tools like evolutionary astrology and those teachings and different, you know, manifestation and spirituality teachings also really helped me. I, 
I could deepen for like uh, compassion in the experience and heal some of the trauma around it and just kind of see uh, more deeply into my own worth and therefore kind of the tenderness of life itself and the worth of other people and how to participate in the world in a different way, like in a way that was also less extractive on my part for my own needs, like a need to be believed or seen, which before my experience was part of what, you know, got me in trouble was because I was talking about my mystical experiences. And when people didn't believe me, I got mad and argued with them. And that was part of what made me appear insane. (laughs) It was my passion, you know, and it was completely co-opted by this need for external validation and when I was completely rejected and like penalized in my reality is what it felt like, you know, like no one in that situation would say that they were punishing me. I don't think that that's actually like the intent, but that's certainly what it felt like to kind of be removed from my life, you know, forced into a situation and all of that. Like it felt like a a punishment from fate or something intense like that. And, mm-hmm. um, Yeah. So after going through all of that and just, you know, getting such a dramatic response to my own need for validation and then discovering such a psychological school of astrology, like evolutionary astrology helped me even self diagnose to use that word of like, oh, like I have this thing going on with Pluto in my chart. It co-opted me at a deep subconscious level to behave in a certain way. And it had negative consequences in my life. What if I changed on the inside, you know, did a kind of inner alchemy or inner transformation to have a different kind of life experience? Um, And that's what I did. So Luckily, also having gone through that experience, I don't really fear losing my sanity anymore. But for years, yeah, years (laughs) leading up to that event, I would have moments of kind of touching, you know, dangerous or kind of like forbidden realms of my psyche and be like, oh, no, am I going to go crazy? And now I've just discovered it's like a matter of having skills and tools and frameworks that give us the... um agency, I think, to navigate, you know, different realms of experience that aren't, you know, vastly trekked already. Yeah, definitely. And I think that having connections with people, I know I was talking about suicidality just now, but even in terms of what's called psychosis, like having people that you can talk to when you're in a state where you do feel like out of control of your consciousness, because I feel like, um, When our consciousness goes into something really scary or unknown to us and maybe to others, it's kind of like a portal. It's like our soul is trying to find something or trying to understand something and it's scary and it can be like this major, major catalyst or some kind of healing process. I think that if we can have support around it and we can have witnessing and just or even just the presence of other people to be there while we're going through it or to listen. Um, I've, I've definitely had that happen many times throughout my life. And, you know, sometimes they've brought me into circumstances that I never would have actively opted into or rationally thought were a good idea. But somehow they were something my soul needed to journey through and to experience and to come out the other side having a different understanding of, um, you know, and some of them, like, I still don't fully understand. But 
Um, but I do agree with what you're saying about, like, I think that as we've had experiences numerous times, we start to develop a certain kind of confidence in our own ability to navigate them or even just in what they are. Like, I think a lot of times why people end up getting diagnosed and sort of into the psychiatric system or going through things a lot when they're young is because it might be the first time they've experienced something like that and not necessarily have the confidence or the tools or the experience to know what it is or to know how to navigate it or to know who's safe to talk to in that experience or maybe haven't maybe they haven't we haven't yet found people who are safe to talk to when we're going through something like that when we're younger um and it might be the first time so it's pretty it's pretty unfortunate because i think that when people are going through something like that for the first time it's it's often like a, such an extreme rite of passage and such an extreme kind of spiritual emergence creative emergence like somebody's soul just like really talking loudly to them and like it can even be the first time somebody's soul really tells them what their life purpose is. And that can be the moment where they start to, I just got the chills. <laughs> um, like, you know, that could be the moment where everyone around them is like, no, you're crazy. <laughs> but if there are a few people around that person that can recognize them and say like, you're going through something right now and it's okay, you know, it's okay to go through something. Um, it seems like maybe there's a lot, there's just a lot of trauma, almost like survival trauma that gets wrapped up into it all where it's like, if you stop, if you can't function for X amount of time in our current economic system, um, you know, this is like an emergency and we can't deal with that. We have to get you back in line so you can continue to function, you know, in a certain way. Um, but I think, you know, so many more people are experiencing these things lately. And I mean, maybe not, maybe we've always, maybe humans have always experienced these things just as much. I don't, I don't actually know, but, but there've always been a lot of people experiencing these types of things. And, um, you know, sometimes I think we need just more space and understanding in society for the idea that not everyone is always going to be participating and quote unquote functioning in a standard way. Um, and something that made me think of was that one thing that I do feel okay with about the term mental illness is the idea that like somebody, like if somebody has a physical illness, <clears throat> they might need time off for a while. They might need time off for a long time. They might have certain things they can do and not do maybe for their whole life. And I think even though I don't love the term mental illness, <laughs> I do like the idea that, you know, we can have things going on in our psyche that might make us not able to do things for a while, or maybe that, that change what we can do and can't do for a while or for a long time, you know? Um, and it makes me think about like the disability movement in general, where there's a lot of advocacy for supporting people in what they can do. And, and finding ways for people to share whatever it is they do have to offer and have the supports for that um, in place and to create more and more support so that people who have different abilities, whether it's physically or psychically, um, can share them, you know, and finding ways to accommodate all different types of abilities. Those are great points. You mentioned 
something about soul and, um, it's come up a few times in our conversation too, about there being this, you know, the legitimacy of other realms, um, like the psychic realms, the dream plane, and, you know, what role are they playing in these experiences? You know, if a person's soul is really loud all of a sudden, and they haven't heard their own soul before, um, it's a really interesting way to contextualize um, these experiences. Um, so I guess what I want to ask is, um, what do you feel are some of the the vaster um, forces at play? Um, and I think you've touched on it, you know, with talking about reality outside of consensus reality and people having a soul purpose. Um, but I'm just wondering if there's anything more to add in terms of what's happening at a spiritual level when people are having these opening experiences. Um, do you mean like in the collective or in the individual? Or? I suppose both. <laughs> if that's not yeah. too big of a question. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I can't say that I like know the answers. Um, you know, sometimes I think of the world as like a symphony or like some kind of orchestrated music, um, where, you know, everybody has their part. And something I read recently that some, my friend wrote was about, um, something like about how, as we get older, if we don't have regular spiritual practices, we can get out of tune. It's like, if each person has a part to play in like, the symphony of the world, some of us, or it, it might not even have to do entirely with getting older, but, um, but, you know, it does seem to happen to a lot of us as we get older, because children are usually pretty in tune and like, um, pretty in touch with their, their themselves and their spirits. But I guess like, there's this need to stay in tune, I think that so that we can continue to like participate in the music of life in a way that is harmonious and that is beautiful and that is helpful and honest and like where we're really expressing our soul um, fully as much as possible. So um, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but it's just something like something I think about. I mean, I think that it's a little complicated because there are all kinds of different like realms and spiritual realms. And something that I've written about that I wrote about last year was about entity possession. And that's like this whole other realm that I started to delve into in my intuitive psychic writing process. Um, where I think, and that, you know, that might actually be really connected to this conversation. Maybe I should bring it up is that sometimes I think people experience um, like feeling possessed by, it could be what would be considered like a negative or evil entity, but it could even be like a negative thought form, um, or negative thought patterns that become habitual. And I wrote this whole thing that I haven't even shared it publicly because somehow I, I don't know, <laughs> I probably should, but, um, but when I was thinking, when I was getting this download about entity possession, I also got a lot of information about how to um, 
like clear negative entities. And again, they could be, you could think of it as actual spirits or thought forms or however you want to think of anything that like really takes us away from being in tune with our spiritual purpose and our own spirits. And I think that that type of thing can also really be um, connected with people experiencing what gets called psychosis or getting labeled with a mental health diagnosis. I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on that, but I could talk more about it. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Um, Well, it's interesting. I've had, um, you know, after I got out of that experience and I was able to move back to my college town after being stuck in the suburbs, living with my parents and faking my way out of psychiatric care or attention. I wouldn't really call it care. Um, I, I was really like discovering my like witchiness, you know, like my interaction with, uh, magic and, um, you know, my interaction with totems and attracting experiences or having some influence on reality. And I would have the feeling of being in interaction with negative spirits. Like I'd pick them up when I went out or something and I had to like clear them when I got home. Mm -hmm. And eventually I read this book by a Christian mystic, uh, Florence Scovelshin, and she talked about just like not believing in evil anymore. Like just stop was basically her message. <laughs> and so I stopped. <laughs> I, it's that simple. I stopped doing all this like martial arts, you know, privately in my room, like, oh, there's this spirit I'm having, you know, I'm depressed or I'm having a negative or self-hateful thought. I need to like do magic right now to get rid of this presence. You know, I just stopped doing that and really um, stopped letting that have power over me. So I think that there's a a kind of terrain that people can get into that's a little bit zealous or overly intense around identifying spirits everywhere. But then I also don't think that those, you know, that vision of reality is invalid. I think that I just realized that I was dancing with those energies, you know, and that I could stop dancing with them. So I stopped participating with them and, um, it's a really fine line. And I think that this even comes up in, um, in astrology, like in ancient versus modern astrology, because in ancient astrology, there's more of a perspective that, uh, the planets are like, you know, the gods or kind of symbols of the gods. Um, and that there's these gods that are interacting with our fate and that, um, we can work with the gods, you know, to bring about different results in our lives. And then when astrology became more psychological, um, it was forces on our own psyche that we had to, you know, become more conscious of and make the unconscious conscious. And Mm -hmm. I actually see validity in both of those. And I experience both, you know, and for me, I've just personally gotten a lot more out of psychological empowerment, you know, speaking of all of this <laughs> psychiatric <laughs> stuff of just like feeling like I have agency in my own consciousness to change my thought forms, uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, transform myself. So I've really stepped back from spiritual warfare or anything where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, other oh, spirits and I have to like cleanse my room or anything. So yeah. I'm just wary of that for that reason but 
I think that that's just, that's a very personal decision in a sense. Cause I, I see other people being more, uh, more drawn to interacting with different kinds of spirits or doing more kind of magic work. Um, and I do a lot of like spiritual, angelic, psychological stuff personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because the whole download that I got about entities, it was interesting because when I wrote it, I was like, wow, I've never written anything like this. And I've never thought of life in terms of like evil. Like I've never thought that there's like actually evil. Like I really never had. Um, but in a way you could think of it as a metaphor. Like I'm not attached to the idea of it having to be literal. Um, but in a way, what I think that it showed me was just like a kind of psychological dynamic that people have, different psychological dynamics that people have and how those can co-opt the consciousness in some way and how they can co-opt the consciousness of like groups of people. Um, totally. Which I think comes into like everything we're talking about, about psychiatry and, you know, mystical experiences and even like what our spiritual experiences are here for. And, you know, in a way, like, yeah, I don't really tend to think that much in terms of like warfare and fighting off evil exactly. But sometimes I think of um, like how we need to in some, it's kind of like the peaceful warrior or something like that, quote unquote, um, how we need to really be fully present and fully in our purpose in order to occupy all the space. It's almost like the download I got just to paraphrase in a way was something about it's like, if we're not actually occupying all of our space with our soul and our spirit, then there's like this space, this like vacant space where other mm. quote unquote entities can enter, you know? Wow. Yeah. I, it's interesting too. I, you made the distinction too originally of like whatever way you choose to look at it, whether it's an entity or a thought form. Um, yeah, that when people aren't in their purpose, there's room for other stuff. And I think even um, Shaman Durek, who whose ideas I love, like he talks about depression as being someone who's not living their truth. Like they have a lot of, uh, like they're living a life that's not honest to them. And so it depresses them. And I remember like being depressed a lot as a teenager because I just hadn't found my, uh, like my path yet. And I felt very alienated from like high school life and the culture around me. And I internalized that as part of my identity and all of that. But when I was able to leave for college and kind of determine more of my own reality, I found that, oh, like, I'm not just naturally depressed. <laughs> like, I just wasn't living a life that I was happy with. And, you know, then I had to undo a lot of thought structures and patterns and like neural pathways around depression um, and give up the story that it was something that was just like genetic in me that I'd always be depressed. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I really, it's really interesting stuff with the that download and kind of thinking about how to, how to be in our like selfhood and power. And then what are the kind of subtle consequences of not being? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sharing it versus hiding it. Because it's almost like if we don't share it, we're not fully occupying it. 
and then hiding it can also create this kind of like empty space or like this kind of vacancy around us that's I mean again there's really no formulaic way because for each person it's going to be different like when they want to share things and how and when is the time to and when isn't and and so forth but ultimately I think you know if we have a purpose eventually in some way we need to share it so. <laughs> so true like you are doing I really like just hearing your thoughts on this has been so deeply profound um I yeah I've really been enjoying talking to you about this um I know you've written a book uh could we hear about what that book is yeah, my book is called, oops, I'm just, whoops, I'm just grabbing it. <laughs> um, it's called Freedom from Psychiatric Drugs, a manual and workbook for psychiatric survivors. Um, and it's, it's very, um, pretty comprehensive about all the different things, like a lot of the things we talked about today. Um, and a lot of specifics about things that help people when they're going through psychiatric drug withdrawal, or when they don't, if they want to be free from psychiatric drugs for any reason. Um, so yeah, I wrote this book over quite a long time and published it about a year ago. Um, it's been really cool having my book, even though I've always been a writer and I've been writing and blogging, you know, I've been writing my whole life and blogging, like as long as blogging has been around. Um, and so it's kind of a compilation of everything I've learned from working with people over the past um, like decade and a half of people who've been, you know, looking for alternatives to psychiatric drugs or getting off of them. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you have any specific questions about the book, but that's my book and it's on Amazon. If you want to check it out, it's called freedom from psychiatric drugs. Amazing. Um, and just, I think, you know, one other thing to cover since I don't think we, we did is like, is there in your experience working with people, do you feel that people do benefit from, uh, psychiatric drugs? Like, is there ever like cases where it does help people? Um, or like, what's your, your take on that? Well, I think that, you know, in our current societal structure, um, it kind of depends on the situation. And there are times when that might be like the only thing that somebody has access to that's acceptable to those in their reality um, and to themselves. And so I think that like in some cases for an emergency or short-term use that some people have found them helpful. And obviously some people find them helpful long-term. Um, I mostly really only work with people who are who have been harmed by them and are getting off or who don't want to take them. So I'm not really an expert on people who do feel helped by psychiatric drugs. I know that there are a lot of people out there that um, do like choose to take psychiatric drugs and find that, 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 you know, the effects are what they want um, at least in the short term. And then I'm not sure about the long term, but I guess, I just try to focus on people who are seeking an alternative. I, I'm definitely not out there trying to convince anyone to stop taking drugs if they want to take them or if they find them helpful. 
Um, in terms of like facts, they are harmful factually, scientifically, like biologically, they do cause harm in the long term for everyone. So that's not like my opinion. It's like an actual fact um, that they do cause harm to the body when taken long term. So I just want to put that out there for anyone who takes them long term, not to tell you not to take them or to go off and definitely not to just go off cold turkey or anything like that without a good plan. But but just to consider other options and to think about um you know, supporting your body in ways that are healthy and that um, can cause like a longer term building of reserves in the body rather than damage. Um, but again, it's really up to each individual. And there's a, an approach called harm reduction, which is that, you know, like all kinds of things in our life cause us harm. And, and they're um, like that when we're going through something or a crisis or healing from trauma, we try to find the least harmful approach. Um, and for some people, given their circumstances in a certain, you know, situation that could be psychiatric drugs, or it could be a whole bunch of other things, you know, some people say that about street drugs or about other addictions or about, you know, um, really anything that anybody uses to help them cope with something. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've found that since I've, um, you know, my, the way that I speak about psychiatric drugs is not positive. I had a really terrible and traumatic experience with them. So I, I'm never in the, the business of like shaming people for them or trying to tell people not to take them. But I've just felt like, very called to share my story about it. And it's funny that like, sometimes when I do people get triggered and they're like, but you know, psychiatric drugs have been good for me. And I'm like, that's fine. But you know, I guess like what I'm talking about is that they weren't good for me. So just like, you know, I guess staying in my lane in that sense of I'm not telling people not to take them, but I'm being super honest about my experience with them and how I've found healing for trauma and mental distress through a lot of other practices. So, yeah. yeah. I know I get that a lot too. Like just by talking about my own experiences and just basic facts about psychiatry, people might accuse me of saying that everybody should get off psych drugs or that I'm shaming people who are on them or anything like that. But a lot of times, I don't know. I think that that's kind of a projection because I don't say things that are actually shaming anyone for anything. Um, I don't think, (laughs) but the reason that I also think that it's really important for people like you and me and anybody who feels called to, to share our experiences is because there's just so much money in, in like supporting people to share the story that psychiatric drugs are necessary and the only option. Um, so I guess I don't feel that there's any lacking of support for people to take them. I don't think that anybody wants to take them and can't find anyone to support them to take them or can't find anyone to give it to them. I just don't see that as an issue at all. Um, I do think that, you know, more and more people are aware of the harmful aspects of them. And there are quite a lot of people now that are against them, but I don't think that, um, I don't think that translates into generally shaming people for taking them. But what I was going to say is that when I went through this experience myself, since it was so, so, so harmful on my body and my spirit and my mind and everything, um, 
I did feel very, very called, especially right after I experienced it to share my story as much as I could. Like I felt like I had to, um, because it's kind of like if you have a near death experience, like if something almost kills you, it just feels kind of like, well, I just need to tell people about this because I already almost died. So like, I don't really have anything else to lose, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's how I feel from my experience. It's like, I was accused of being crazy. I have nothing to lose now. I'm just going to live my truth. (laughs) (laughs) Like I've already been crazy and survived. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. It's helping the species survive. You know, it's like I encountered something dangerous and now I'm going to like share that. Right. Yeah. I think it, a lot of people do experience like an intense feeling of a mission around sharing it. And other people, you know, just don't want to talk about it at all because there is still a lot of societal stigma around anything involving a psychiatric diagnosis or having experienced one. I guess I started just sharing my story publicly right away. And I think, I don't know if you did also right away or not, but... Um, it took me a few years. Yeah. I really needed a few years of like solitude and like in my like little monastery of self and source but after that yeah yeah it's really different for everyone you know when and how they want to share um (laughs) yeah yeah ah this has been so amazing um how can people connect with your work further um well my website is hyagrossberg.com um so that's my name, C-H-A-Y-A-G-R-O-S-S-B-E-R-G.com. Um, you could find me on Twitter at Haya Grossberg, Facebook. You can follow me at Haya Grossberg. Um, and I have a newsletter as well, which you can sign up for on my website. And I think that's pretty much it. If you know my name, you'll find me. Oh, one other thing is that I have a blog, not only on my own website, but also on madinamerica.com which is a really cool site that explores all different perspectives on psychiatry and mental health. And um, it's madinamerica.com. And if you look up my name, you can find a bunch of writings there as well. Awesome. We'll leave those links in the show notes. Um, and my book is on and it. Which I think I read. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. So um, yeah, my pleasure. I just wanted to thank you so much. It's really, really cool to talk to you about this topic. Um, And I really love talking to you as an astrologer and a mystic and educator about this because I talk to so many um, like activists and advocates that are in the realm of psychiatry about this. And I've done a lot of podcasts with people in those realms, but it's really fun and like enlivening to do it with you. with you coming from like a kind of a different angle, but also being a survivor yourself. And um, so, yeah, I'm just really grateful to be able to talk to you about these topics and, um, you know, excited for any correspondences amongst people interested in astrology and um, mysticism, as well as alternatives to psychiatry to hear your views on these topics. Mm, Thank you. I'm so glad that we found each other. I know, me too. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, thanks, Haya. Thanks, Dana. I so enjoyed that. 
If you have been enjoying this podcast, please leave me a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And if you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me over at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll take down your email and send you a free gift that I'm working on when it's ready that I'm going to send to podcast reviewers. I'm hoping to have that done pretty soon. All right. Take care. Check out Haya's work if this is something that really speaks to you personally. And I hope that you enjoyed this conversation.